Good morning, Central. Uh, it is such a pleasure to be with you here this morning. Obviously, I'm not Pastor Ryan. My name is Chelsea Jasky, and I'm the youth director here at Central. But again, it's just an honor and a pleasure to be able to just share with you some things that God's just been laying on my heart recently. So we're going to just go ahead and dive right on in. We are in week three of a series from Wounds to Wins. And what this series is all about is finding victory when we've been hurt or when we've experienced setbacks. Uh, the first week, Pastor Ryan talked about healing and how just like our physical wounds, our emotion on our spiritual wounds, it takes time to heal. Now, healing is a process. In week two, last week, Pastor Ryan talked about how often when we're wounded or hurt, one of the first things that we do is to run. And how even when we run away from God, that Jesus is still right there with us and he hasn't forgotten about us and he's loved us through the entire thing. Today, my message is titled, um, Finding the Message in the Mess. And I promise it'll make more sense as we go on. But it's all about finding the hope and the strength when we find ourselves in the middle of challenging situations. Because the fact of the matter is that every single one of us in this room has experienced a challenge or a setback or a scarier, quote unquote, messy situation. And so when we're in the thick of it, how do we find the hope and the strength to keep going and to push on. So before we get into that, I have a quick question for you. How many of you are parents? Whether it's parents to a human child or to a fur baby child. Okay, so lots of parents in this room. So how many of you have ever um, turned your head or came back home and walked into a situation similar to this photo? <laughs> So whether it was your pet or your child, I'm sure all of us have had a situation where you walked in, you turned your head away for a certain amount of time and came back and there was a huge mess waiting for you. Uh, the reason I'm thinking about this is because this happened to me just the other day. Um, I have a four and a half year old at home and so obviously I was watching him, but I was also watching my two and a half year old niece. And so they were playing, I was just kind of going about the house doing some chores and I thought I looked away for three seconds. Obviously, it was a little bit longer than that. But by the time I came back into the living room, they had, and parents, I don't know if you know what this is, but floof, has anyone ever heard of floof? So what this is, it's like a um, whipped cream, foamy-like substance that you use kind of like Play-Doh, like you can shape it and mold it. And yes, it's as messy as it sounds. <laughs> but anyway, they had gotten into this, this bucket of floof that he had gotten for Christmas. And I kid you not, this stuff was everywhere. It was in their hair, on their clothes, on the couch, on the rug. It was even in the cracks, the crevices of our hardwood floor. And they were, at this point, throwing it up in the air. And so it was even on like our shelves of our walls too. I mean, wherever this floof could be, it was. And in that moment, I'm thinking probably like some of you, my first reaction was kind of like anger, like, are you kidding me? But then I just had to kind of throw my hands up because the damage had already been done. There wasn't a whole lot that I could do about it. And yeah, was it going to be inconvenient for me to have to clean it all up? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, it wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't life or death. It was going to be okay for me to clean up. So now what in the world does my toddler and floof have to do with what we're talking about today? Here's the thing. It's easy and cute and funny for us to talk about the messes that our pets or that our kids make. 
Because again, at the end of the day, those things really aren't that big of a deal. But what happens if the messes that we're talking about are our marriages? What happens if the messes that we're talking about are our finances? What happens if the messes that we find ourselves in are addictions? What happens if the messes that we're talking about are the things that our children are going through? When we talk about those kinds of messes, it's a lot harder to just throw up our hands and laugh about it in these real life messy situations. How do we find the strength and the hope to see our way through those kinds of messes? So that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. And I wanna just make a point, first of all, is that our messes are good. And I can say that because I truly believe that we can authentically create communication and connection with one another through the struggles that we go through. I believe that oftentimes the most authentic relationships that we have are through conversations of, hey, me too. Hey, you're struggling with that? Me too. And so I think that our messes are good and the fact that we all go through all sorts of messes are good. But I do have a concern and something that I've seen more recent in this past year, um, but definitely just something that I see as a problem. And that is that I think so often that we find ourselves where our messes and our struggles have become so familiar to us and they've just become the norm and part of who we are. And we have a hard time separating ourselves from our struggles. It's almost like we don't know who we are outside from all the things that are going wrong in our lives. And it's like we almost forget who we are and we can't define ourselves outside of our struggles. To make this point just a little bit more clearly, how many of you have ever heard of or said the term hot mess? Oh, she's a hot mess or oh, I'm a hot mess. So for those of you that don't know what that means, um, basically it means what it sounds like. It's a lighthearted way to say that someone's life is in disarray or disorder. And the fact that we even have such a term that just makes light of and makes familiar and normal our struggles and our problems is concerning. Because the fact of the matter is that that's not what God intended. God did not intend for us to just be a bunch of hot messes walking around relating to each other through just what's going wrong in our lives. And I, my fear is that if we can't learn to separate ourselves and who God created us to be from the struggles and the situations that we find ourselves in, we're gonna miss the point. We're gonna miss the messages that God is trying to speak in us and through us to other people. And so the first point that I wanna make, and if you don't hear anything else this morning, I want you to just hear this point loud and clear is that you might be, you might find yourself in the middle of a mess right now, but that does not mean that you are a mess. Yeah, you might be in a mess, but you are not a mess. You know, I will never say that I am a perfect, perfect parent, but most days I'm actually probably a hot mess when it comes to parenting. But one thing that I read early on that has stuck with me and that I'm really diligent about trying to, to do and to follow, is they said that you have to be careful as a parent to separate your child's actions and their behaviors from who they are as a person. 
So for example, when I looked at my four-year-old and saw floof from head to toe, it would have been super easy for me to look at him and say, oh, buddy, you are a mess. Because the truth is that, yeah, he was a mess. But that's not the truth, because my son is not a mess. He is beautiful, and he is perfect, and he's exactly the way that God created him to be. And so for him to hear from his own mother that he is a mess is just simply not true. Now in that moment, yeah, I, I could have said, you made a mess, oh buddy, you made a mess, and that would be true, is that his actions and his behaviors created a mess but he is not a mess. And unfortunately, us as adults, we have a really hard time with this because we blur those lines so easily. We experience a setback and all of a sudden we think that we are a failure. We fail at love and so all of a sudden we think that we are unlovable. And that's just simply not true. And not only is it not true, it's impossible for us to be a failure, for us to be a mess, for us to be unworthy. Because the Bible tells us that we are created in the image of God. And so if we are created in the image of God, but yet we're unworthy and we're messy and we're unlovable, then that means that God is unworthy and a mess and unlovable. And that is not true. You might be in a mess, but you are not a mess. You are not an addict. You are simply a child of God suffering from an addiction. You are not a failure. You are simply a child of God experiencing a setback. You are not unworthy or unloved. You are a child of God who just wasn't loved the way that you should have been loved. You might be in a mess, but you are not a mess. You're exactly who God created you to be. And the sooner that we can understand that, the sooner that we can separate ourselves from our messes, the sooner that we can experience transformative, true healing through Jesus Christ in our lives. We're going to look at the story of a man in the Bible who you, whose story you might know pretty well. And I'll just give you his name now. His name is David, King David. And so when I say King David, how do we know him as? We know him as who? The man after God's own heart, yes. So we know David as a man after God's own heart. And we know this because the Bible tells us this in a couple different places, uh, one in 1 Samuel, but then also in Acts chapter 13. And so when we read Acts 13, starting in verse 22, it says, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And from this man's descendants, God has, brought, uh, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. Now, I don't know about you, but this is the ultimate way to go down in history books, right? Is by hearing from God himself that I am a woman after his own heart, that I am a man after his own heart. And not only that, David, we know that through his lineage comes God's son, comes the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And so is it fair to say that David was favored by God? Yes, yes, it was fair to say that David was favored by God. And yet, if you know David's story, you know that his life was far from perfect. You know that he finds himself in the middle of some really, really messy situations. 
And so let's look at a couple of those messy situations. The first one we read about is in 2 Samuel chapter 11, uh, and starting in verse 2. It says, One evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the, from the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Are we seeing what kind of mess David's getting himself in right now? Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. David, 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 David. Look at the mess that he finds himself in. He lusts after a woman. King David lusts after a woman, and he sleeps with her and has an affair. And then on top of that, we find out that she becomes pregnant through this affair. David finds himself in a really messy situation. And I love, obviously, lots of things about the Bible, but one thing I particularly love is that this is thousands of years ago, and yet the same mess that David finds himself in here is the same mess that a lot of us find ourselves in in today's society. So that's a message for a different day. But we see David, right? He knows that he's in the middle of this mess, and so he kind of has this, like, freak-out moment. He thinks, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? i got to fix this situation. i got to hide this so no one finds out that this baby is mine. And so I'm just going to let you know. We could read it, but I'm just going to let you know kind of what happens. So what David does in this situation is that he sends for Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And Uriah is, at the time, out on the battlefield fighting in the war. And so he thinks his plan is, well, I'm just going to bring Uriah from the battlefield, bring him home, let him sleep with her, so that way everybody thinks that the baby is his and not mine. So he goes to get Uriah, but the problem with this plan is Uriah doesn't sleep with Bathsheba. <laughs> and his reasoning is that he says, how can I be home eating marvelous food and sleeping with my wife when my brothers are dying on the battlefield? And so he refuses to sleep with Bathsheba. And so David, again, in the middle of this mess, kind of has this other freak out moment. He's like, all right, plan A didn't work. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Aha, I got plan B. So if we continue reading on in 2 Samuel 11 uh, in verse 14, this is David's plan B. He says, it says, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, Put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. You see what plan B is here? So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. So David thinks that the best option in this case to fix this mess that he's in is to simply kill this woman's husband so that way he can take her in, marry her, and when the baby is born, no one will think anything of it. Now, I don't have this in your notes, but it's worth saying is that oftentimes when we're in the middle of a messy situation and we try to fix things on our own, what often happens is that we find we just make the mess even bigger. And I can't help but think that if David, after he finds out that Bathsheba is pregnant, if he were to just get on his knees and pray to God and say, God, I'm in the middle of this mess and I don't know what to do. 
I can't help but wonder if the outcome would have been different. And so the second point that I want to make this morning is this, is that our messes simply just point to our need for Jesus. We can look at our problems as things that we just need to fix and cover up, or we can simply look at the things that we're going through as signals alerting us for the need to invite Jesus in more fully and completely in our lives. Now, the other day, um, we had an alarm system installed in our house. Now, I knew we were getting a system installed, but I did not know the exact date and time that we were getting it installed. Well, I think my husband told me, but I wasn't clearly paying attention because I come home, normal routine, I open my garage door, and all of a sudden my house is screaming at me. And I have this like minor panic attack because I, I'm thinking I'm going to get killed at this point. But then once I started to realize, oh yeah, the alarm system, we got it installed, okay, I'm like, oh crap. I look at the panel, I'm like, I have no idea what the code is to disarm this thing. <laughs> and so I don't know if every alarm system is this way, but this is how ours works, that if you enter in the code incorrectly or you don't enter it in in a certain amount of time, it goes through a call list. And if the call list no one knows or doesn't answer or doesn't have a reason for why someone would be in the house, then it signals for the police to come as like backup help. And so... Thankfully, I was able to get a hold of my husband and get the code to disarm the system before the police were called. But it got me thinking that it's pretty neat that we have the technology nowadays that when we're in a situation that we need help, that we can automatically call for backup. And not only that, but we can get help from someone who's more skilled at fighting these kinds of things like robbers and burglars better than just your everyday average citizen like me. And I thought about how this relates to the messes in our life because oftentimes those struggles, those things that we're going through can kind of feel like panic emergency situations. Our emotions get the best of us. We can't think straight and we just want to give up and throw our hands in and give in. But in those moments, we have a choice that we can make. We can either choose to see our messes and our struggles as reasons to give up, as reasons to panic, as reasons to let the emotions get the best of us. Or we can simply use our messes as our internal alarm system, alerting us for the need to call in some backup. And not only that, but call in some backup for someone who's more equipped to handle our problems than we are. A couple years ago, I was in a really uh, messy, challenging season. And so many times I was tempted to just let my emotions get the best of me. So many times I was tempted to just shake my fists at God and say, where are you? Why aren't you here with me? But I decided in that moment to just use my season of suffering as a reason to get closer to God, as a reason to build my relationship with Jesus. And so there were mornings where I literally would be laying in bed and I would just shoot up prayers to God saying, God, I need help getting out of bed right now. And so I'd get out of bed and I'm like, all right, God, we did it. We got out of bed. Now I just need help getting my coffee. And I'd get my coffee and say, all right, God, now I just need help getting, brushing my teeth and getting ready for the day. And that's how my days looked for a time as I was consistently and constantly relying on Jesus to get me through my mess. And what came out of that whole season was, was it still challenging? Absolutely. Was it still tough? Absolutely. And messy? Of course. But on the other side of it, when I look back, 
I just see how much my trust and my faith in Jesus grew during that time. And now I have this unshakable belief that we can do anything together. As long as Jesus is on my side, I can handle any mess that comes my way. But it took me looking at my messy season of life as a signal alerting me that I just need to rely on Jesus more. There's another man in the Bible who finds himself in some messes. Um, And this is a man you probably have heard of as well, and his name is Paul. And one of the messes that Paul finds himself in, we can find in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, starting in verse 7. And it says this, it says, Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, this is Paul speaking, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, this is a, if we're in the series Wounds to Wins, right? This is a wound. He says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, whether or not this thorn was like a physical thorn or wound or whether it was like emotional or spiritual, we're not sure. And it doesn't really matter for this morning. The fact of the matter is that Paul finds himself in a really painful situation, so painful that he says it torments him. And if we keep reading, it says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Three times he pleaded. He was in so much pain and agony that he pleaded with God to take it away from him. But he said to me, and I love this, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What Paul is saying, he's like, no, you know what? These moments of hardships, of difficulties where I'm being tormented, they're actually my strongest moments because it's these moments that I realize, you know, I, I can't do this thing alone. I have got to rely on a higher power to help me get through it. My messes, these difficulties, these insults, these hardships, persecutions, they just simply point to my need that I need to rely on Jesus more. And he says, and when I do that, that's when God's power is made perfect. It doesn't say his power is made better. It doesn't say his power is made well. It says his power is made perfect. When we can recognize in our messy situations that all of those situations are doing is pointing us to our need to rely and trust in God more fully. And so just as a quick recap before I hit my third point is this. First, we have to understand that we might be in the middle of a mess, but that does not make us a mess. God created us beautifully and wonderfully. We are created on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose. And yeah, our behaviors might have led to some messes, but that doesn't take away from who God created us to be. And when we can understand that and we can separate ourselves from our messes, then we can start to see that our messes are simply just alarm bells alerting us to the need to invite Jesus in more fully in our lives. And when we can do those things, then we can begin to see the message in the mess. Then our eyes will be open to the ways that God is working in us and through us. And so my third point that I want to make this morning is this, is that there is always a message in your mess. 
There is always something that God is trying to speak to you, teach you, shape you, and grow you through your struggles and through your difficulties. Um, How many of you have ever heard of magic eye? So I have a picture of it that we'll put up on the screen. Um, This, yes, this is what magic eye is. Is anyone familiar with these? Okay, so uh, I used to be obsessed with this when I was younger, but what these are, if you're not familiar, is, I mean, obviously it looks like just a bunch of jumbled mess of colors and shapes, and you can't make much sense out of it. But if you hold it, if you can actually train your eyes to see, there's a 3D image that's displayed in this like mess of colors. And so you can actually train your eyes by either crossing them or holding it up to your face or like holding it in the light specific way. There's different ways you can do it. Um, but eventually over time, you can learn to see the 3D image in the photo. And I actually did this one earlier. You probably can't do it on the screen, but there's a peace sign in this. So a peace sign that kind of just like jumps out at you if you can see it that way. And I got to thinking about this and how our life often resembles a magic eye and how on the surface to us it might look like just a jumbled mess of colors and shapes and we can't make much sense about what's up and down and left and right. It all kind of looks jumbled to us. But when we can understand that understand who God created us to be, and we can start to see our messes as just signals to rely on Jesus more, then we can start to train our eyes to see the messages hidden below the surface. Because the fact of the matter is, like I said earlier, God is always working below the surface. He is always working behind the scenes to grow us, to shape us, to teach us something through the struggles of our lives. And all it is, is a matter of us learning how to train our eyes to be able to pick up on those messages and see the things that God is trying to tell us. Paul, we're going back to our man Paul, um, later on finds himself in another pretty messy situation. And the mess actually that he finds himself in is that he finds himself in prison. And not only is he in prison, but he's in prison for just simply speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I don't know about you, but there's not very many situations or messes that could be any messier than being in prison for talking about Jesus. But nevertheless, this is where uh, we find Paul. And so in Philippians chapter one, uh, in verse 12 through 14, Paul says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, again, this is when he's in prison. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me being in prison has actually served to advance the gospel. Hold up, Paul. You're telling me that you being in prison for speaking about Jesus is actually a good thing? Now, if he is not a man who practices what he preaches, then I don't know who else is. Because he's saying the very same things that he was saying in 2 Corinthians, that he delights in persecution and in hardships. And so he goes on to say, as a result... It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And it's because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. He's like, no, 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 guys, this is a good thing. Me being in prison is a really, really good thing because now these people in prison who might never have heard the good news of Jesus now know who Jesus Christ is. 
And not only that, for you, brothers and sisters out there, if you can see that I can still minister even in the middle of my mess, then it gives you confidence and hope that you can minister out there. He says, no, it's because of my chains that I've been able to see the message in my mess. I'm able to see how God is using me to advance the gospel even further than it was before. Paul saw the message in his mess. And just like Paul, we have the same choice in our lives. We can again choose to see our messes as reasons to just throw up our hands and let our emotions overtake us. Or we can train our eyes to believe that God is working in us and through us to teach us and to grow us and to shape us. Now I wanna share a quick story with you before we wrap up. And obviously I have a four year old at home and my parents live in Fort Dodge. So my son's lucky, it's about 45 minutes from where we live. And so my son is lucky that he gets to see his grandparents pretty consistently. Uh, we'll either drop him off for the day or sometimes he might spend a weekend with grandma and grandpa, but he loves going over to grandma and grandpa's. And so a couple months ago, I dropped him off. Um, I think it was for the weekend actually. And when I went to go pick him up, I was kind of in a bad mood. I was kind of in a hurry. I just wanted to get back home. And Kale had his toys just everywhere in the living room. And again, I was kind of antsy and ready to go. And I was like, Kale, just come on, buddy. Like, pick up your toys. We got to go. And so he's trying to pick him up. But in true toddler fashion, he's like trying to throw him back in the box. And then they'd go past the box and behind the couch. And it was just taking way longer. And so I kind of snapped. I was like, buddy, let's go. And my parents say to me, they're like, you know what, Chelsea, don't worry about it. Like, it's okay, honestly, just leave the mess. We'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. And I snapped back at them and I said, no, that's not right. You know, my son has to learn that when he goes to places, he can't just make a mess and then leave it for someone else to clean up. And I'll never forget what my parents told me in that moment. And they said, you know, we understand that. Obviously, we get that that's what you want to teach him. But for us, his toys laying around is more for us. In fact, sometimes when you leave him or when you drop him off and take him home, we leave his toys on the floor for hours, for a day even. And I'm thinking in my head, are you guys crazy? Like this is a stub toe at 4 a.m. waiting to happen. Why would you leave his toys out? And they said to me, they said, you know, his toys on the floor are evidence of love. They're evidence that, oh, I'm getting emotional. <laughs> They're evidence that we got to spend quality time with our grandson. Because there's a lot of parents and grandparents out there that would do anything to have one more moment of toys of their kids spread across the floor. And I stood there in just disbelief, and obviously I was like teary-eyed then too, and I was like, you know what? I vowed in that moment to always choose to see the message in the mess. Because for them, Kale's toys were more than just a mess on the floor. It was evidence of love and God's grace and a fun weekend together. And so in that moment, I vowed that I would always choose to see the message in the mess. And so I don't know what mess you find yourself in this morning. And I know some of you are going through some tough, challenging messes. But three things that I know for certain is that one, even though you're in the middle of a mess, that does not mean that you are a mess. 
You are exactly how God created you to be. You are perfect and beautifully and wonderfully made. You might be in a mess, but you are not a mess. And the second thing that I know is true is that we have a choice that we can make. We can either choose to see the messes of our lives as reasons to just give up and give in, or we can choose to see our messes as simply just signals alerting us to rely on Jesus more completely in our lives. And the third thing that I know for certain is that God, there's always a message in our mess. God is always trying to show us something through the struggles that we're going through. And so I want you to hear loud and clear this morning that there is a message in your mess. And that message is that Jesus Christ loves you and that you are exactly how you were created to be and that his grace is sufficient for you and that he will continue to love you and chase after you as long as you live. Let's pray.